Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. I know you've been standing a while, but I'm gonna let you stand for one more minute. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1, and I want you to stay in John chapter 1, because even though I'm reading one verse, I'll be making reference there, but I want to preach this one verse, but it's John chapter 1, verse 29. I'm, I'm a little excited about today because I, I've just kind of been in this flow. God's been speaking to me, and so I expected that this week, I, I got to Wednesday night, the heavens were brass, as old timers used to say. I couldn't get anything. And I said, oh, God, what do you want me to do here? I mean, I've got 35 years of sermons. I guess I can just go pull a sermon out, but I, I want a word. You're going to have to speak to me, Lord. I mean, we got God and I were having a serious conversation. Sometimes I've learned the Lord just tests me to make sure I'm going to trust him. And then sometimes he wants me to wait because if he gives it to me too early, I might do other things. I, I've just learned to wait on the Lord. And so uh, Wednesday night, I was in my study, and I was just seeking the face of God, and the Lord began to deal with me, took me to this verse, and I, I, as far as I know, I've never preached this verse. I don't have it in my, in my notes as far as I'm concerned. But the Lord began to show me things, even up through yesterday. And so I'm excited to be here today because I want to talk about Jesus. I mean, who, who doesn't want to talk about Jesus? So we're going to talk about Jesus today, and I've entitled this The Lamb of God. And you'll see it here in chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, which would be John the Baptist, not John who wrote the Gospel of John. He was an apostle of Jesus. This is John the Baptist. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hey, how many thank God for Jesus who takes our sins away? You can be seated. You've been staying in a while. Thank you. So let's just talk about Jesus. Let's just talk about Jesus this morning. For the first 30 years of Jesus' life, we read this in the Gospels. He was a carpenter and the son of a carpenter. And so when I look at that time period and I, I read other things that I'll not get into, I get clues about how Jesus grew up. And the clues that I get from the Gospels lead me to this understanding that Jesus worked with Joseph and he learned his trade as a carpenter. And we would say that Jesus lived in a blue-collar environment where things were tight financially and you worked hard to eke out a living. That was his upbringing. He didn't grow up in a palace. He lived in a little country town called Nazareth. Okay, probably made honey a path look like a metropolis. And a nobody in nowhere land. But Jesus, being the Son of God in flesh, knew that he was destined to do more than carpentry in the little town of Nazareth. And we read the story of Jesus, and it's about when he was 12 years of age and the parents are going to Jerusalem for the feast. You had to take the family to Jerusalem and offer the sacrifices and celebrate the feast. That was part of the, of the law of Moses. And they were in this caravan going there, and there's, there are a lot of children, and, and they just let them run, play. And they got to Jerusalem, and they, 
they did the feast and they said, okay, it's time to go. And Jesus said, okay, and I'm hanging out. You know, they figured he's hanging out with his friends. So they started back. They, they got up the road quite a ways and they started looking for Jesus, thinking he was just running around with the other kids. They couldn't find him. Any parent who's been there, even for the remote, small few seconds, that ter- that's terror, isn't it? When you can't find your kid. They rush back to Jerusalem. They're looking everywhere. Finally, and this went for several days, finally they went to the temple. I guess they figured that's the center of the city. Maybe the priests know where he's at. We, they're desperate, and when they get there, there they find Jesus, talking to the scribes and the priests and answering the, the elders, answering questions, asking questions, amazing them. And so when they said, son, you've been, we've been pulling our hair out. Why did you do this to us? He responded, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? So I think it's amazing that even though at 12 he is a human tween, that's that period between childhood and teen years. We call them the tween years. He was a teenager. He was just 12, but he was still the son of God. And he knew what he was supposed to do. So I put in my notes like this, because I like to say pithy little things and comparisons. I think Jesus knew a time would come when he would transition from doing his earthly father's business and move into his heavenly father's business. It was time to leave the carpenter business and go into the messianic business. And so around 30 years of age, Jesus knew it was time. And he found John the Baptist at the Jordan River and um, said, baptize me. And so John baptized him a little reluctantly, comes up out of the water, soaking wet. The, the heavens open. The Spirit of the Lord descends on him. The Spirit of God comes on the incarnate Son of God like a dove. Didn't look like a dove. It was just like a dove and how he did it. And a voice booms from heaven. Everybody heard it and said, you are my beloved Son and you I am well pleased. What a moment. And at that moment, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And you want to talk about you fast for 40 days and 40 nights. First of all, I've told you this just a few weeks ago. That has to be divine. Nobody can do that on their own. You have to have divine help to do that or you'll die. And so Jesus has divine help. He comes out of the wilderness. Get ready now. Stay with me. 40 days later, a month and a half later, nobody's seen him out in the power of the Holy Spirit, ready to embark upon his messianic ministry. I mean, he is fired up, powered up, and ready to go. And he comes into Galilee, and guess who is one of the first people to see him? John the Baptist. John just happens to be in Galilee at the point. He has not seen him for 40 days. The last time he saw him, he was soaking wet, praying, having this supernatural experience, and John watched him walk off into the desert. That's the last anybody's seen him for a month and a half. And here comes Jesus. Now, John knew some things about Jesus when he saw him that last time. When he baptized, well, we know he's the Messiah because I'm the forerunner of the Messiah. We know he's the one that's going to judge the nation of Israel. He's going to be the Holy Ghost baptizer. There were things John knew about him. But that day, when, when Jesus crest, tops the crest of the hill and John sees him, he gets this revelation that he's never had before. And it is so strong and so overwhelming that there was a crowd nearby. And as he's coming, John looked and said, 
And if, see, if he was from the south, he would do it this way. Yo! Oh, y'all! Look! Do you see him? Look at him. That man right there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Makes you, it gets you fired up just thinking if you could be back there when that happened. The Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. John's Gospel, right there, you've, you've got your Bibles, I see, chapter 1. If you get bored, then just read chapter 1. At least you'll be reading the Bible. Don't get on your phone. And in John chapter 1, we are given identification of Jesus right out the gate. In the beginning was the, anybody know it? The Word. That's Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He's the, he's the source of creation. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So he's life. And he's the light. If you go later in John 1, he's called the light of the world. Or later in the gospel of John, the light of the world. There's all these. He's even called Jesus the Christ. He's called the only begotten of the Father. But with John the Baptist, we have a revelation, a new identification that we don't get in any of those other instances. The Lamb of God, God's Lamb. Jesus is God's Lamb. And so, obviously, being a theologian and student of the Bible, it makes me go back to what is the significance of lambs. And when I went through the Old Testament, I am amazed at what I discover. Some of this I knew, but it's still... You go all the way back to the beginning of creation, and lambs have played a significant role for humanity and keeping us or getting us right with God. So Adam and Eve sin in the garden. God kicks them out. There's sin because Adam is the federal head of the human race because one man sinned. Thanks a lot, Adam. All the rest of us are born in sin, right? So they have kids, Cain and Abel. And Cain turned out not to be too good of a kid. But Abel was the one that kept sheep, and here's what the Bible says in Genesis 4.4, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, he didn't do that on his own. God, at the very beginning, said, you take the firstborn lamb of a flock and you offer it as a sacrifice to me, and I will cover your sins so you can have relationship with me. That's why when Adam and Eve sinned, God killed two animals and skinned them out and made clothes for them from the skins of an animal to cover their nakedness. I believe that the two animals were lambs. Because the lambs have significance. 
And so Abel offers, so all the way from the beginning, you have to offer a lamb as a sacrifice to get right with God. And then you go through the Bible and you get to the Old Testament and you get to the law of Moses and they got all these sacrifices, all kinds of sacrifices. You got the wave offering and the feast offering and the, and the dedication offering and, the, and, they, and, they, and Nick, then they got a trespass offering, a sin offering. And that one, you offered a lamb. Sometimes you'd offer a bull or a goat, but in this case, you'd offer a lamb, a female lamb. Sorry, ladies, I don't know why. But it was a female lamb. And you would take that animal, kill it, put it on an altar. They'd set it on fire and burn it. And that animal would give its life. And the blood of that animal that poured out paid the, see, the, the animal paid the price. It died because the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins, he shall surely die. Adam, in the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely, y'all know it. It's all about death and dying. So, how can I get right with God? Somebody else has to die in your place. So the sheep is dying in order to cover your sins. And that's very important. It covered your sins. But the most significant use of a lamb was the offering of the Passover lamb. And this is in Exodus chapter 12. And y'all just stay with me because I got fired up studying this. I don't assume anymore that people know the story, but if there is ever a story that most people know, it is the story of the children of Israel in Egypt, and then God sends Moses, and to bring them out of slavery, he puts these ten plagues on Egypt, and then the tenth plague, it breaks them because Pharaoh was hard-hearted, and, and finally they, they got and they came out, went through the wilderness, went into the promised land. And if you don't know that story, that, that's okay, I just told it to you, but most people know that story, it's kind of a really common story. But if you don't know it, that's it, okay? So God has put nine plagues on Egypt, frogs and lice and, and darkness and the water turned into blood, but the last one is the worst. He's going to kill the firstborn of the Egypt. And he says to the Israelites, now this is going to happen to you too unless you do exactly what I tell you to do. Take a lamb without spot, kill it, all right? Watch this. There's a picture of it. Take the blood and splatter it on the two doorposts entering into your house and on the lintel. Then take it inside, roast it, and eat, eat all of it and stay in the house. And tonight when I pass over Egypt and I'm killing the firstborn, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And that night, that's exactly what happened. God went through Egypt, and there was death and destruction and judgment that came upon Egypt because they were adverse to God. It wasn't God being mean, but it, it was God putting judgment on, on, on Israel, on Egypt, to deliver his people. And as he went through that night, when he saw the blood, he passed over, and instead of judgment, the Israelites would know God's mercy and grace. Put the picture back up, please. Here's the thing that even that picture doesn't necessarily show. When you slap the blood, maybe with a hyssop branch, on the doorpost, and then you slapped it on the lintel, anybody ever painted? What happens if you get too much paint in one spot? It drips, runs. So in my mind, I could see... Somebody like me, I'm slapping it on because I'm thinking, I want plenty of blood. I don't want any God come and kill anybody in my house. Jaron's over there saying, amen, daddy, come on. He's the firstborn. Slapping that 
blood on there, slapping the blood. And you get enough of that blood and it's dripping. Stay with me. And you got to, I may shout. I've been thinking about this. When you look at that, slap, 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 drip. All the, all the former Catholics in here, you know this. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. What are they doing? Doing the sign of the cross. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And I look at that and I see it and that's what God wants us to see is that the Passover lamb is a type or a symbol of Jesus and the Passover sacrifice is representative a foretelling of the death of the lamb on the cross, Jesus Christ. And you can't help but see the cross in the blood of the Passover lamb. Are you seeing this? And what I'm trying to preach to you is Here's what John the Baptist had in mind when he saw Jesus and shouted the Lamb of God. Jesus was God's spotless Lamb who gave his life. Now watch this. I've never preached this, never seen this in my life, never read it in a book. And you may say you're stretching this too far. Who cares? I'm preaching it. We sing about the cross. I've never thought about this. But God, I feel the Holy Ghost. When Jesus died on the cross and they pinned him to that cross, his head was bloody, crown of thorns. It, there was blood running in his eyes, down his back. His hands were nailed, pierced with big old nails, so blood was flowing out of his hands. Nailed his feet to the, to the, the vertical beam. Blood's dripping down at the bottom on the cross. His head leaned back. His hands pinned against the cross. Blood, watch this, is being applied to the cross from the lamb. And when they took his body down, I've never thought about this. When they took his body down off of that cross and Joseph took it, what was left imprinted on the cross was the same thing that you had with the Passover lamb. Blood, 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 blood. Blood, 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 blood. And then you say, well, aren't you confusing the symbols? No, I'm not. Because I wonder if Joseph looked at that, saw that method of execution, that electric chair, if you would, and as he's wrapping his body, looked up and said, hey, Nicodemus, does that look, something about that looks familiar. Can Nicodemus, it does. What, what, what? And, and I wonder if one of them said, Oh, I know what that is. That looks just like when we put the blood of the, of the Passover lamb on the... I wonder if it hit him. It may not have hit them, but it hit me. And it, what it says to me is, that's how you get past the judgment of God. That's how you get access and relationship to God. And when Jesus died on the cross as the Passover lamb, God ripped the veil and the temple in two and exposed the holy of holies. And Jesus said, I've come to open up a new and a living way to God. And the cross, listen, is the access to God. The cross is how you get to heaven. The cross is the doorway. And over the door... Over the doorway to get to heaven, Jesus, the Passover lamb, applied the blood. So when you see, you don't hear me this morning. Somebody give God praise in this house for the Jesus who gave his life. So you can get to God. I could quit right now, and that's good. So when John said, the Lamb of God. I think that's what he had in mind. 
And he said the Lamb of God would take away the sin of the world. Under the Old Testament sacrificial system, it was understood that your sins were transferred to the Lamb. As a matter of fact, they had all these different rituals. And one of them, you ever heard of a scapegoat? They would get two goats, and one goat would be killed, and the other goat they'd send off into the wilderness. And they would lay their hands on the goat, on his head. And the point was that the sins of Israel would be transferred to the goat. Thus, scapegoat. You're the scapegoat. You're going to get, you're going to take the blame for something somebody else did. And so they laid the blame of our sins on the goat and sent him off into the wilderness. It bore your sins. When you did this on the altar and sacrificed the animal and burned it, it bore your sins and died for your atonement. That means covering. Atonement has two concepts, to appease the wrath of God and for covering. And if you're one of those people this morning that said, I don't believe in penal substitution theory and I just don't think God would be that way, fine, then this sermon's not going to help you one bit. But the last time I checked, you break the law in America, you die for it. Certain sins, you die for it. And God said, you eat of that fruit, you're going to die. And Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. He knew what he was doing. And here's what I, I put in my notes. An ordinary lamb's death would cover your sins, but the death of the lamb of God would remove your sins. And y'all, there is a difference between covering them and removing them. I read a story years ago, true story. That a man was telling it about when he was a boy and his parents had a street ministry. They may have even been in the Salvation Army. I don't remember the details, but I remember the gist of the story. And his parents would go out on the street and do street ministry, and they would play music, probably an accordion, and sing, and then his dad would preach the gospel, and they would try to reach people on the street. A lot of times those were homeless people or people in the down and out or whatever. And he said, I did this with my parents as a child. We would do this all the time. And he said, on one particular occasion, my dad was... They were singing, and I was there. Sometimes I'd sing with them, and Dad was preaching. But at this point, they were singing, and they were singing, Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And there was this guy there that was very, very looked shabby, looked rough. He was just taking all this in, and the man telling the story was a boy said that he was this man was standing near him and he looked at me he said son he said are those your parents he said yes sir he said i know that song i used to sing that song he said believe it or not i know i don't look like it but he said i used to be a minister he said i don't know if you understand this he said i was the president of a seminary but he said i never knew the lord it was just religion to me and he said I really didn't know him, and my life went upside down, and I let sin destroy me. And he said, I've lost everything I ever had. He said, I'm just a mess. You can see that, son. He said, but I'm listening to the words of that song. And that man said, he said this to me, and I never forgot it. He said, son, look at me. He said, there's a difference between being washed white and being whitewashed. And he had been whitewashed. 
looked good on the outside, but didn't have it on the inside. But I came here today to tell you Jesus came to bear your sins and take them away and wash you white. See, when Jesus died on that cross, he took on himself the sin of the world. Your sin was placed on him. Let me give you the word of God, 1 Peter 2.24. Jesus himself bore our sins, our sins, in his body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. Hebrews 9.28, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. See it? Carrying the sins, bearing the sins. Paul goes a step further in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made him who knew no sin. Everybody knows who that is, right? That's Jesus. For God made him who knew no sin. Listen, to be sin. Not just bear sin, but to be when he bore the sin. This is crazy. He became the sin. Crazy, isn't it? To be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. So let me repeat myself. He not only bore your sin, he became your sin. How? God imputed your sins to Christ. Yours. Mine. The whole world. Only a God, a divine being in human flesh could do that. And Jesus endured the penalty which you deserve for your sinfulness, which is death. But hold on, it gets better. better. Then he imputes, or as we say down south, reckon. You going with me to the game? I reckon. We reckon things down south, don't we? We know about reckoning. It means to impute. It means to give to one's account. So he imputed or reckon to your account the righteousness of Jesus. Y'all listen to me. You not only possess the righteousness of Jesus, you are the righteousness of Jesus. Righteousness is not what you do alone. Righteousness is who you are. That's why you can't be saved and act any old way you want to. Cut the fools, cut the shot. You can't do that because you're saved. And he took all your sins. Listen, he took your sins away. And gave in its place his righteousness. And the Lamb of God carries away your sin and all that goes with it. He carries away your guilt, your fear, your shame, all the wrongdoing, all the offensiveness. Your previous sins are irrelevant because Jesus removes them in a way that you have no access to them. He takes them away. Let me, let me show you Micah seven nineteen. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. Have y'all ever heard that? I've always heard there's a sea of forgetfulness that God throws our sins. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that he will throw our sins into the depth of the sea. And of course, it's metaphorical. There's not really some place out in the Pacific Ocean that you can go find everybody's sins. The concept is when he gets rid of it, it's so far away, you'll never find them again. I, I got online, and I looked up, and I thought, well, now, okay, now that I've gotten rid of this sea of forgetfulness thing, and I'm understanding this verse, 
I'm a little curious, and this is where Google is so cool. So I Googled, what is the deepest part of the ocean? And it's called the Challenger Deep, and it's located in the Pacific Ocean in the southern end of the Mariana Trench. And it is approximately 35,876 feet deep. Nobody's going there. Nobody wants to go there. But I just came here today to give you a little shouting ground. That's where your sins are, if you want to want to know. That's where your not 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 literally, but that's where your sins are. Thirty-five thousand feet deep in the ocean, where nobody is going to get to them. Not even the devil. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. So I got on Google. I said, what is the distance around the earth from east to west? And of course the equator is that point which is the the longest distance, the circumference of the earth. And I looked it up and it's 24,901 miles. So if you get plant one point as east and go all the way around the globe to the other side, which is west, that's 12,450.5 miles. And that's how far God has removed your sins. Well, I'll just get in a plane and fly there. No, you won't. Because the earth's always moving. So you get on there, you'll never catch it. When you get to east, it'll always be around here in the west. And when you get around to the west, God will have already moved around. The point is, your, sin, your sins are gone. Somebody ought to praise him this morning. Your sins are gone. They're gone. They're gone. Jesus took them away when you got saved. Jesus paid the price for my redemption. I accepted his grace, his forgiveness, and his cleansing, and I gave him my sins, and he took them in exchange. We've been laughing about this because when Jaron was little, he got into Pokemon cards, and Pokemon cards are back. And now my grandsons have them, those demonic things. My grandchildren have them now. I'm just kidding. And so Jaron had these big, oh, he was all into Pokemon cards. What were you, like 10? Where'd Jaron go? Oh, you what? Eight? 18? No, because $10 wouldn't have worked for you. He's like maybe eight, maybe younger than that. He might have been just a kid. And uh, he started having nightmares, bad nightmares. Every night, we, we couldn't stop it. We didn't know what to do. We're praying. We don't know what's going on. And I called. I was talking to my dad. My dad said, son, now I know some of you are going to disagree, but it's cool. Just, it's my story. You don't have to transfer it to you. I'm just telling you our story. He said, son, you know he's got all those Pokemon cards. And he said, you, have you looked at those things? I said, yeah. He said, I mean, they're, they're monsters, pocket monsters. They're monsters. They're, he said, there may be some demonic things coming out of that that you just don't know about. He said, I don't know. I'm just saying there may be. Well, at this point, we're desperate because he is waking up every night with nightmares. So I walked in his room, had a $10 bill. I said, Jaron, I'll give you $10 for that entire box of Pokemon cards. Well, his eyes lit up because at his age, $10 was a lot. That's why I know it wasn't 18. 
Because Mr. Businessman over there would have been, okay, do I hear 100, 100, 100, 50, 50, 150, 175, 175, 200, 200. His eyes lit up. He said, yeah. I said, all right. Now they're mine. He said, okay. And I handed it to him. I said, I said, you understand? They're mine now. You've got $10. I got the Pokemon cards. He said, yeah, okay. I can do with them whatever I want to, right? He said, yeah, Dad. He's holding the $10. I said, good. See ya. I walked out of his room, went to the trash can, and dumped them all in the trash. Threw them out. He didn't have another nightmare after that night. Now, I'm not saying Pokemon cards are demonic, even though I said it a few minutes ago. But that's not the point of my story. The point of my story is there was an exchange that took place. And let's just say Pokemon cards are bad. It helps my point. He had the Pokemon cards. I had the currency. You had your sins. He had the blood. And you came to him. And he said, give me your sins. I already took them, but give them. I already, t- I already bore them on the cross, but give them to me. I'm going to take them from you, and here's my blood that will wash you and cleanse you, and they're mine. And then he took them, and he said, they're mine now. They're not yours anymore. And he took them and put them away where you will never have to deal with them again. You need to understand the power of the blood, the power of the cross, the power of his atoning work, the power of his love for you, the power of this salvation we stand in. And never take back the sins Jesus took from you. People will try to get you to give in to the temptations and enticing words. They only have one agenda. They want to pull you back into sin. You just tell them no. Jesus took those sins. I'm not going to go get a whole new batch. And if you're not saved today, I hope you will grasp the reality that there is a lamb who bore your sins on the cross so you can be free from sin. Musicians, come on quickly, please. If you read the same John who wrote the Gospel of John and wrote these words that John the Baptist said, and you go to the last book of the New Testament, which is Revelation. Guess who wrote it? He did. John the Revelator. And he's in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he gets caught up to heaven, and he sees Jesus. And he doesn't see Jesus, the conquering king. He doesn't see Jesus, the mediator between God and men. He doesn't see Jesus, the great high priest who ever lives and makes intercession for us. He doesn't see Jesus, the Holy Ghost baptizer. He doesn't see Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, and behold, I looked and there was a lamb that looked as if it had been slain. Jesus went back to heaven he could have been identified in any number of ways but the way you see him is that he's the lamb that was slain the 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 incredible thing about theology and Christology is when you look at the glorification of Christ when he ascended to heaven went back to the father 
seated at the right hand of the throne of God, that John shows us that he has maintained a human form, though still the Son of God. The, the, The incarnation has remained in a glorified state, just like one of these days our humanity will be glorified. Isn't that cool? And he's kept the imprints of the nails and spear in his body. That's why when he resurrected from the dead, remember? And he went to him and Thomas said, I got to put my hand in his side and stick my finger in it. And Jesus showed up and said, here you go. They're still there. Doubting Thomas, stick your finger in there. Stop doubting and believe. So when John saw him, it makes sense. John had already seen him in that state. Maybe John thought, well, when you get to heaven, you know, maybe Jesus went back and all that's over. But that's the great thing is John said, I saw him when he, I saw him die on the cross. I saw him when he was resurrected with those, still those wounds. But I get to heaven in a vision and I look up and there he still is with the wounds in his side, the lamb that had been slain. Because it took a lamb with Adam and Eve and it still takes a lamb today. I just hope somebody in this house, somebody watching online, can see the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Look at the Lamb. Pastor, I've done a lot of bad things. You don't know how steeped in sin I am. Doesn't matter. Look at the Lamb. Yeah, but I've been doing it in a long time. Doesn't matter. Look at the Lamb. Uh, the devil's told me I'm too far gone. No, you're never too far gone. Look at the Lamb. Look at the Lamb. And everything and all that you are will be taken away. It's already been placed on Him. But when by faith and through grace, you ask God to forgive you, just like the children of Israel, you don't experience judgment anymore of God. You're a recipient of the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God Almighty. How many thank God for the Lamb? Stand with me all over this house. Amen to that. That's a good word. I judge that. That's the word of God. If you don't know what that is, that's one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. It's called tongues and interpretation. It's the gift of tongues, gift of interpretation. And the Lord moved on James Whittington to give out a message in tongues. It's a language we don't know. It's heavenly. But it gets our attention. And then he gave us not the translation, but the interpretation. The Lord spoke through him to us. And we, we listened to that. And I believe it was real. And it doesn't surprise me that it happens on a day when I preach about the cross and I preach in a way that's a present, presentation of the gospel. Because the Bible says that that operation is a sign not to believers, but to unbelievers. If you're not saved today, you, that ought to, that ought to, that's got your attention, didn't it? God's got your attention now. 
It's a sign. Signs get your attention. You look for McDonald's, you look for the arches. You're looking for a sign. Well, God gave you a sign this morning right there and said to you, I shed my blood and I'm here to save you. And you notice he said today, today. So with every head bowed, please, and every eye closed so that we can just focus. Thank you. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to do anything like that. Right there where you are, I want you to look at the Lamb. And if you're here today and you're not saved or if you've backslidden, and God is drawing you. Here's what I want to advise you to do. This is what the Bible says to do. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, which means you also believe he died, you shall be saved. For by grace you're saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't save yourself, but Jesus has done what needs to be done. He said, what do I do, Pastor? Talk to him. Talk to him and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Say ABCs. Admit you're a sinner. Believe what Jesus did and confess him as your Savior and Lord. It's very simple. Somebody came up with that years ago. It's pretty cool. Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you died for me. You're the lamb. You took my sins. Please take my sins away today. Wash me and cleanse me. I repent. Change my life. Make me righteous. And from this day forward, I'll live for you and serve you. Just keep it simple. Church, we're going to just pray. We're going to do things different today. We're going to have a everybody pray. And I want for everybody praying. If you're saved, I want you to pray for people that are here that are not saved, that they'll today they'll give their life to the Lord. If you know somebody that's not saved, I want you to intercede for them right now. I'll lead us in prayer. For those of you who want to be saved, as we're praying, you start praying right there where you are. Start asking, say, God, save me. Jesus, save me. Wash my sins away. Come on. Father, in the name of Jesus, join me, church. Father, right now, this congregation prays. I pray. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and dying on the cross for our sins. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for opening up in a new and a living way to God because there's no way to God because of sin, but you've made a way. We just sang your way maker. You made a way where there was no way. And I just thank you for that. And now, God, we can get to you through Jesus Christ. And I pray right now, Lord, for everybody here that's not saved, that, Lord, those people will be praying and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, save me. You don't have to pray a fancy prayer. Lord, you'll, you'll see their heart. You're looking for their faith. Are they trusting you? Are they leaning upon the grace? Are they going to accept the free gift? Lord, help them to do that today. And that people are saved and lives are changed. Those watching online right now, sitting at home or somewhere else, that God, they're praying right now, saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my heart. Come into my life. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I'm not going to go back into sin. Those sins are gone, and I'm going to live right from this day forward. Save the lost, I pray. Save the lost, I pray in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, you, if you're grateful, if you're saved, you're grateful for what Jesus has done for you. We just lift your hands all over this church. And before we leave here today, will you tell him thank you? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.